Well, it's the start of a new year, and I don't know about you, but it's, it's a common practice for me to, to have worked through a set of priorities and goals and things I want to see happen in the coming year. You may have set for yourself those kinds of very same things, maybe fitness goals or financial goals, re- relational goals, uh, all sorts of things. Maybe you want to start a new project this year. Maybe you want to increase uh, research uh, into new topics or hobbies or any a num- of a number of things. But I know one of the top things for God's people at the start of each year is a renewed commitment or goal to be in God's Word. How many of you have kind of determined that and purposed that in your heart? Anyone? I, I would say most believers would set that as a goal. Other spiritual disciplines or habits as well, you know, to, to begin to shape their, their lives. And Bible reading normally ranks at the top of that list for believers. Maybe you've set a goal to read through the Bible in a year. You know, go from Genesis to Revelation or follow any number of Bible plans. And we all start with really good intentions at the beginning of the year. We start really disciplined. Man, we read it. We're checking off uh, our list, you know, that we've gone through Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 and on and on. We get through Genesis and there's some great uh, history there. There's some great narrative. And we're like, man, this stuff is exciting. You read Genesis, there's some exciting things that happen. You get into Exodus, how God delivers his people. Wonderful account of God's power and might and his deliverance. Then you get into Leviticus. And you start like wondering, what is all this about? Dietary laws, purification laws, things in the temple, purification for bodily discharges. And you're like, what on earth is this about? And you get to numbers and your eyes glaze over, you know, as you're reading the census of Israel and you're like, and what, what starts to happen? Many times we get discouraged in our Bible reading. Maybe we don't understand all of the things that are happening. We can't seem to put our Bible together well enough to go, okay, there's a purpose in all of this. There is, uh, there is a, a seamless story through this and maybe I'm not getting it. Or maybe we start missing a few days and then we get the discouragement of how do I catch up? I can't possibly read all these extra chapters now to get back on track in our, my Bible reading plan. Right? So you, or some of you who use the, the different Bible apps out there, right? it starts tracking how many days in a row you've read God's Word. And you're like, yes, three, four, seven, nine, ten, fifteen. And then you miss. And that resets all over again. And you're like, ah. I blew it. We've, we've all experienced that. Now, some of you, again, you're, you're really good at this, and you actually get through the Bible. Somehow, by some miracle, you actually do finish the entire Bible in the year. But by the time you get to Revelation, what did you remember from all the way back in Genesis as you, sped, you know, speed read through the entire Scripture just to get through it? Now, I'm not saying that's a bad goal, to, to work through the Bible in a year. That's a good thing. I'll talk about that more uh, shortly. But many times we start and we don't finish. It is not a surprise to know that one of the most alarming things when it comes to uh, Christianity and the church, especially here in the West, is the, the high rate of biblical illiteracy found amongst God's people. We just don't know His Word. We just don't know it. I was working through um, 
a research project by the American Bible Society, Society. And for the last decade, each year, they've put out a report called the State of the Bible. And uh, you can see the, uh, follow the link there in the sermon notes. And if you want to read the entire uh, research project. But this was their 2022 study. And uh, it's not a surprise to know that the rate of biblical illiteracy is growing. What this particular report and research is about is tracking the spiritual engagement amongst those who call themselves Christians or are professing Christians. And that scriptural engagement is really what they're looking at. They define scriptural engagement uh, as consistent interaction with the Bible to such a degree that it actually shapes one's behaviors and actions, right? It shapes our relationships, transforms our relationships with God uh, and with other people. Uh, And so that's scriptural engagement. They want to know how many people who profess Christianity actually engage with the scriptures on a regular basis that they're seeing change, they're seeing transformation. And as they survey professing Christians, uh, they have grouped them into three categories. The scripturally engaged, a category they call the movable middle, and one they call the Bible disengaged. Now, of course, the scripturally engaged are the ones who frequently are in God's Word. Maybe not daily, but maybe every few days or once a week or a few times a month, they consider those scripturally uh, engaged. And these people say that the Bible has a great impact on their daily life. It informs their daily life. Now, they also have the Bible disengaged, and those are the ones who have infrequent interaction and engagement uh, with God's Word. It's, It's sporadic reading. You know, they, and, and the Bible really doesn't impact their life. This other category, the movable middle, which is a large group, are people who are just starting to explore the Bible, beginning to read the Bible for themselves, and time will only tell which other category they will fall into. Either they'll continue growing in their knowledge of God and interaction with His Word, so they'll be scripturally engaged, or they shift to the Bible disengaged category. But here's some of the things that they found. The American Bible Society saw an end this year to a trend that they had seen that was positive. More people engaging with God's Word, exploring God's Word for the first time, a large growth in that movable middle. But in 2022, they saw a steep decline in that number. Okay, That number shrank. The number and percentage of scripturally engaged people declined. What's the one category that saw explosive growth? Not the one you wanted, right? The biblically or the Bible disengaged grew dramatically. In fact, it is more than twice the size of the movable middle uh, category. 40% of those surveyed said that they never read the Bible on their own. That's startling. Many of these are frequent, maybe church-going individuals, but they're saying, never read the Bible on our own. That figure was 29% in 2021, ballooned up to 40% this, uh, this past year, okay? And what is it that keeps people away from Bible reading? This is one of the things that they sought to drill down and learn from. So they asked questions. What is frustrating you in Bible reading? What is keeping you from reading God's Word? And they offered a few different categories. Now, about 25% or a quarter of those respondents indicated that they never seemed to have enough time to read God's Word. We'll talk about that shortly. 
the top answer for our uh, Gen Z and millennial uh, age categories was, I don't know where to start. That was one of the top questions was, I don't even know where to begin to be in God's word. Uh, in that, those age brackets of Gen Z and millennials. And a category that seemed to be true across the movable middle, the biblical disengaged, was a sentiment that they don't feel excited about using the Bible. I'm just going to call it, they find it boring. Okay? Those are some of the top readings. And it's startling, but it's not surprising. I think we see it out there, we sense it, we know it. We, we experience that maybe in interacting with other people. Perhaps you might identify with some of that yourself, and you, you might, you're feeling your way through some of this here. But biblical illiteracy is not a result of a lack of desire. And I'll tell you why it's not a lack of desire. Because most of God's people say, I want to read God's Word. I desire to read God's Word, which is why we set New Year's resolutions. I'm going to get through the Bible this year. This is the year I am going to finish all the way through to the end, right? The desire is there, but it doesn't seem to pan out. It doesn't seem to flesh itself out into actual Bible reading and study. So it's, but it's not a lack of access or availability. We know that there are more translations now of God's Word than there have ever been in any time in human history. Translations which are really easy to understand. Translations that have been uh, uh, produced to appeal to a, a lower um, uh, uh, grade reading level. Okay, So it's like, I can't read the King James. That is just too complicated. Great, there's the NIV. The CSV is a wonderful readable translation. Of course, I prefer the English Standard Version for its more literal word-for-word ability to translate, but I can understand how that could be a little challenging for some, but that excuse of that I, I, I can't understand it perhaps, um, there's options there. There's more access and availability to God's Word than ever before because not only do we have print format of God's Word, pretty much everyone's walking around with a Bible in their pocket. Just about everyone in this room probably has the Bible on their smartphone or on their tablet. We have access to God's word like never before. So why aren't believers or professing believers engaged in God's word? We are like in this weird Amos 8 time in human history here, especially in a country that has been so evangelized, has so many churches, has such great influence of the word of God. But there's a famine there's a famine of, of wanting to hear and read and know an and intake of God's word. And I can only describe that as the severe judgment of God on us. Because the access is there, the availability is there, but we're not doing it. We're not doing it. So why don't more professing Christians love God's word enough to read it and study it consistently? It's not desire because people are starving for God's word. They don't know how to describe what they're experiencing, perhaps, but they're starving for God's Word. And a starving person desires food more than anything else. I believe it's a lack of conviction. That is one of the main reasons. Lack of conviction in a number of areas, but mainly a lack of conviction that that the Bible, as God's Word, has the power, divine power, to transform us, to change us, to actually do work in us that we 
believe or claim that it can do. We don't have the conviction truly in that area. That it, we don't have the conviction that can actually conform us more to Christ. There's a lack of conviction that the Bible is sufficient to teach us and instruct us about everything you and I need to know concerning God, concerning the nature of man, concerning how we are to interpret and view the world. And that the Bible can actually teach us and instruct us in every facet of our life and in every day-to-day thing that you and I encounter. Coupled with that is also a lack of motivation. Lack of motivation in the kind of diligent study that is required to truly know God's Word and to know God. It's not easy to study God's Word. I won't stand here and pretend to tell you it's the most simplest thing you can do in your life. It is not. It's profoundly challenging. It's profoundly difficult, but it is transformative and life-changing. So we want to address some of those issues as we walk through Scripture today about God's Word to motivate us, to give us the proper conviction and to exhort us to begin to feast on God's Word. Maybe we haven't been. Maybe we haven't been with the frequency we have desired or wanted to or know we need to have. But I pray uh, you will see some glorious things about God's Word today to move you in that direction. And it's my greatest prayer for our church This year, it's pretty much the prayer every year, at the start of every year, that we come to this place, that we become a people who love and delight in God's Word as we love and delight in Him. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 15. I just want to look at this one verse um, that Jeremiah declares here. So much we could say about Jeremiah's statements, but uh, I, I want you to evaluate as we walk through today, do you resonate with Jeremiah's sentiment here. Hear the words of the living God. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. These are the words of the Lord. Now, at this particular moment in time, Jeremiah is actually complaining about a lot of things. Uh, if you've read Jeremiah, you know this dude suffered a lot. This guy endured as a prophet of the Lord, as a mouthpiece for the, for the Lord, endured incredible suffering and hardship. And so now he's kind of uh, just kind of emptying and pouring out his soul uh, through all of this. But he's calling to mind the time when he first heard the word of the Lord. When it first came to him, your words were found. He received God's word. He welcomed God's word. And he welcomed them as a starving man would to food that was offered to him. Your words were found. Think about what he's saying there. He recognizes they were words from God. They were divine words from the Lord, from Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. And he received them as they were, the words of God. And then he says, what did he do with those words? He ate them. He ate them. He's describing this event of hearing and receiving God's words uh, as eating God's word. Now, that's a frequent comparison you'll find in scripture, especially uh, in the Old Testament, you know, for hearing and receiving God's word is like taking in food, chewing it up and putting it in your stomach and digesting it, right? 
Ezekiel, another prophet of the Lord, describes this quite vividly. Let's look at the third chapter of Ezekiel, verses 1 through 3 and verse 10. This is Ezekiel writing. And he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was uh, uh, in my mouth as sweet as honey. Verse 10. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, is describing this act of hearing, uh, bringing into his life, into his heart, receiving God's word, uh, using this picture of, of eating, this imagery of eating delectable food, desirable food, food that is sweet like uh, honey, which would be a, a luxury to eat. And, and by describing the intake of God's word this way as eating and digesting, we're getting a much more robust or deeper understanding of what it is that we are to do with God's word, right? Eating, digesting, devouring, right? And all of that, we're going to see how that comes together here. It indicates to us that receiving or hearing God's word isn't just a mere intellectual exercise, Listening to those words, just like we listen to anything else that we hear out in this world, or having the same value as the words of other people that maybe speak to us, or other things that we hear. It is not a mere intellectual exercise we engage in when we hear God's word. Now, there is that aspect of the intellect, right? When we engage and interact with God's word, it comes first to our mind. It's where we ponder God's word. It's where we reflect on God's word. It's where we begin to meditate on God's word. But it is not purely mental or intellectual. For God's word is to be taken where? Into the the heart. Into the heart. The heart being the command center of our lives. Where God's word now begins to shape us, mold us, conform us, so that we walk in obedience to what God has commanded us to do. So that we will desire righteousness. So as we looked at in Proverbs, we'll choose the right way, the way of righteousness, the way, uh, the way of wisdom. We're to fill our life with God's word, receiving it into our heart and mind, digesting it uh, in our mind and heart, meditating upon it and treasuring it. The first psalm opens up in verses 1 to 3 of, of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel where? The wicked. Right? Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit. Walking, standing, sitting. Like this is the whole of life. Here's where you're not to be found. You're not blessed when you walk in those ways. You're blessed when you're not walking in those ways. When you're not sitting with sinners. When you're not engaging in their wickedness and unrighteousness. Nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Verse 2, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. The word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Blessed is the man who delights in God's word and meditates upon it day and night. That word meditate means to murmur or mutter. Like, it's like you speaking under your breath, right? Or uh, in, in, in hushed tones, right? Uh, have you ever been around some people maybe who are a little bit mentally unstable? What do they do? They mutter. Everywhere they go, they're muttering they're talking to themselves or they're talking to some imaginary friend, 
or something, right? But they're muttering, muttering, continually mumbling, right? That's the, the picture here. The one who meditates on God's word is always muttering God's word. That means it's always in his thoughts. That means he's, it's always ready on his lips because it's hidden in the heart. So the mouth is continually speaking and, and, and rehearsing the word of God. The one who meditates and delights in God's word is one who's ready to recall the promises of God. When he's uncertain uh, about something in life, he turns to God's word for counsel. The one who delights in God's word and meditates upon God's word is constantly pondering it, giving intense study to it, concentrating uh, 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 hard on God's word. The one who delights in God's word and meditates on God's word when they're feeling distressed or depressed, what do they do? But turn to God's word for comfort. That's what's in view here. Joshua 1.8, another verse that many of us are familiar with. God commands, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall, again, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Using that imagery again of eating here, that means that God's word is not to be consumed sparingly. For it's to be meditated on occasionally, every so often, day and night. Day and night. You will see that continually in Scripture. The day and night reading, meditation, take intake of God's Word. God's Word is not to be treated like the food that we keep in the pantry that, you know, we kind of get to it every so often. Or food that could sit there for a long time and eventually, when we have a little hankering for it, then we bring it out. Too many treat God's word like hurricane rations. Like, like survival food. Many of you have stashed away, any, we have preppers in here, right? We stash away food for when? Disasters, emergencies, catastrophes. Many treat God's word that way. As if it's encased in one of those you know, glasses with the fire extinguisher, right? Where we, we break it, you know, in the case of emergency, we'll break the glass and then pull it out at that moment. But the rest of the time, it just sits there collecting dust. God's word is not to be treated casually. For God says that we need to be careful to do according to all that is written in it. That means that we, it requires for us to pay careful attention to what we are taking in and reading and studying concerning God's word. It's not something flippant we do. And, and the indifference and the neglect and inattention given to God's word reveals just how little many Christians think of God's word. Just how little we think about it when we just don't read it. And it just sits there. Or your app goes unopened for a long period of time. I think about right now, and I know Brendan's posted a little bit about this here lately. But this time right now is when everyone's running to, to different church meetings and the prophet that's coming in to give a word for the new year. And they'll make every arrangement possible to go listen to the words of some dude who's just going to say something really random and ambiguous and so generic that can apply to absolutely anyone, anything, or anybody. Or they'll rush to buy the latest book from this Christian author or that Christian author or their favorite speaker 
And this, the very words of God, just languishes. Maybe on a coffee table, a dresser, under the bed, who knows. It's really sad. It's really disturbing. We have a pandemic of the scripturally ignorant. That's what we have. That's the problem. When you think about what Jeremiah is saying here, he found God's word. What did he do? He ate them. Ezekiel says he ate it and it was sweet in his mouth. So God has set before his people a banquet of sweet and savory, uh, nourishing, life-giving, delicious food for our souls. It's not for us to nibble on it from time to time. It's not for us to, to just merely hear the word externally or assent to it mentally or to superficially taste it just when we get a little craving or when we are going through something challenging in our life and like, ah, you know what I should do? Let me see what the Bible has to say. And we're doing the flip and dip, the holy flip, hopefully land on a scripture that will provide us some measure of comfort or encouragement. You know you do that. Come on now. (laughs) We're all guilty of that one. It's a feast that we've been called to. It's a feast that we've been invited to, to continually dine upon and digest And in the midst of the exceeding sorrow and suffering that Jeremiah was going through, right? What did he do? He turned to God's word. He took comfort in God's word that he had tasted, that he had eaten. His spiritual hunger and appetite was satisfied as he consumed the words of the Lord. It filled him. It strengthened him. It enlivened him and emboldened him. How about you? What does your intake of God's word look like? Do you receive regular nourishment from God's word? We need God's word daily, brothers and sisters. Not every three days, not every seven days, not every once in a while. How many of you eat a meal a few times a day? We need to, right? If you don't, like, wow, I'm impressed. But we need to eat to survive. I can't just eat today and then just go three, four days and then, you know what, let me eat a meal again or or seven days later or 30 days later. No, we need to eat every day to survive, right? How about the spiritual food that is essential to our spiritual well-being? Is that something we're to eat every few days, every so often, every few months? No, we need to see God's word the same way because that is exactly what it is. Spiritual food that we need to take in for our own spiritual well-being and growth. Without it, we languish. Without it, we are spiritually anemic and weak. Think about when Jesus was tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days, Satan comes with all these promises. What does Jesus tell him? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that what? Proceeds. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what are the words that proceed from the mouth of God? You have them right there. Yeah, I'm right there. Now, in that, in that American Bible Society research study, right, there were certain reasons given for the inattention to Bible reading or maybe excuses for Bible reading. Let's just look at some of those real quickly. I don't have enough time as a reason for not being in God's Word. Now, is that true? Is it really for a lack of time? No, it's not really for a lack of time. Come on now. 
We make time for what matters most. And the reality is when you look at the, the number of hours that the average person spends a day on social media or consuming various entertainment options, the time is there. The time is there. It's, it's not for lack of time, right? John Piper famously tweeted a long time ago, one of the greatest uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not for lack of time. Now, he talks about prayerlessness, Twitter and Facebook. But I would say substitute Twitter and Facebook for any number of frivolous activities that you and I devote enormous amounts of time to. They're not bad. They're just things that we devote a lot of time to, but in the grand scheme of things or eternal matters, they really don't, they really don't matter. And substitute prayerlessness for Bible reading and study. So those things are not an excuse that will hold up, you know, before the Lord as a valid reason for saying, God, here's why I'm neglecting your word, why I'm neglecting to eat your word. What can you do? Well, you can minimize the time devoted to those other activities. Again, I'm not talking about sinful things. Some of those things are okay. They're necessary in the right place and time and in moderation. You can get up earlier, right? You can listen to God's word. We have incredible technology today to help us. We gifted our church family here, the Dwell Bible Listening app. You can listen to God's word on your drive to work, on your drive home, on your drive to school. You can be reading God's word. And studying God's word during your breaks and lunch times. This is not a good reason. This is not a good excuse. I don't have enough time. We do. If it's important to us, we do. How about the reason, another reason? I don't even know where to begin. And I think that's a valid reason. As I stated, studying God's word is not easy. You can read from Genesis to Revelation and, 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 and consume content like you read other things and really not grasp what's going on in God's word. What's happening in God's word, okay? I, we get that. So what are we going to do with this series? We're going to give you some tools. I'm going to teach you where to begin, how to begin, how to get jump-started, how to cultivate a, a, a habit of being in God's word. Again, there's also tons of reading plans you can go through. We've done a number of them over, over the years here reading through the New Testament, reading through the Old Testament, reading through both, reading chronologically, looking at highlights, uh, reading plans that just give you highlights of, of, of the bigger stories in Scripture. and all. There's, you can focus on the Gospels. You can focus on the Psalms. There's a number of ways that you can engage and interact with God's Word. Okay? So we can help you where to begin. Now, I'm going to advocate to you my preferred method here. Um, instead of reading through the Bible, now if you've never done that and you want to do that, please, you're more than welcome to do that. Here's what I prefer. I prefer quality over quantity. I prefer that we spend our time reading a book of the Bible for an extended period of time over and over again and studying that book over and over again maybe for 30 days maybe for 60 days and then maybe move to another book of the bible so over the course of the year you're reading just a handful of books but you actually get to know them you actually get to remember what you're reading because you're of the repetition over and over again of reading that brothers and sisters isn't that what we do we we teach uh, in an expository manner here going through books of the bible 
going passage by passage, many times verse by verse. Why? So that we get to know the book. I'm not just going to give you a little four-week summary of Revelation. We spent a long time in Revelation, almost a year. And I hope you know Revelation a lot more after a year than you did maybe in the past, or maybe you just read it one time in your annual reading plan. Or you just heard a one sermon maybe on the seven churches of Revelation. We spent almost seven months in the book of Proverbs, and we didn't even get to do that verse by verse necessarily. But I promise you in seven months of Proverbs, I know a, a whole lot more about Proverbs. It, it did a, a number on my heart. It transformed my own heart because of the amount of time we devoted to being in Proverbs and studying Proverbs. How many times I've read Proverbs over and over and over and over and over again. Some of them 30, 40, 50 times, some of those chapters in the span of a few months. Now, you're not going to do this. I have to do it as part of my job as the teacher and preacher here. But I've I probably spent 180 to 200 hours studying Proverbs in a very condensed amount of time. Revelation, I don't even, can't even calculate the amount of hours. But I know those books more than I've ever known them in 30 plus years of being a Christian. Why? Repetition. Devoting an extended and concentrated period of time on that. That's how you grow, brothers and sisters. Not just checking off a box that you got through your, your two or three chapters a day. Again, nothing wrong with that. But there is a better, there's a better way through this right here. To go deeper, you know, in a book of the Bible. Not just to casually read through it quickly just so you get through the quantity of Scripture you want to, uh, you want to get through. So the goal isn't to get through the Bible in a year. The goal is to know, understand, love, and treasure God's Word and be transformed by it. That's the goal. So I don't care if you read one book over and over again for the entire year. I will be like, yes, do that. As you read it, guess what you're going to start doing? You're going to start finishing that verse before you even read through it. Why? Because you... You're starting to get it in your heart. You're starting to memorize it. You're starting to know it. And then you add study to that. And then you're starting to go deeper. And you're starting to see how it fits into the, to, to, to the history of, of, of the Word of God. And where it fits in redemptive history. And what does this have to say about the gospel and its implications. All of these things. You start putting those together. And God's work, Word it begins to work in your heart and change your life. It is what we're going to be focusing on. And last reason or excuse, the Bible is boring. There are parts of the Bible that are a little challenging, and I'll even say dull to read through. The list of names many times, genealogical records, you know, the census in numbers, and there are some stories there you're like, I don't have any clue what's going on here. <laughs> it's difficult. It's difficult, and it can feel boring at times, but ultimately, I'll say this. If you find the Bible boring, it's not because the Bible's boring. It's because you're not convinced that God's Word is powerful and sufficient enough to transform you. You're not seeing the Bible also for what it is. It is God's revelation to you. It, they are the very words of God. And nothing God can speak to us is going to be boring. Let's talk about that for a few moments.
You can't begin to delight in God's word and, and say like Jeremiah that, that his words are joy and delight to your heart until you understand that that text that you hold in your hands or that resides uh, on an app on one of your devices is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, authoritative word of God. If you don't see it for what it is, you will find it boring. You will find every excuse in the book to not read it. I don't have enough time. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know where to start. I don't believe it can actually do anything. I don't believe it has answers for what I'm walking through or going through in life. We are people who hold fast to the Reformation era declaration sola scriptura. The Latin phrase meaning scripture alone. What does that mean? We believe that scripture alone is the supreme, ultimate, and authoritative standard in all matters of faith and obedience. There is nothing higher than it. That means that God absolutely always has the last word concerning any matter. That doesn't mean we don't learn from other resources. That doesn't mean we can't be educated using uh, other tools and things that other people have written or their interpretation of Scripture. It's just not the authority. It's just not the standard. It isn't the last word for us. Science is not the last word for us. The words of man are never going to be the last word for us. I don't care how bright they may be. God's word. Scripture alone is our highest and ultimate authority. Our confession, London Baptist Confession Faith of 1689 in paragraph 1 of chapter 1 states it this way. The Holy Scriptures are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving, knowledge, faith, and obedience. You will not know anything about salvation, about living this walk out of what it is to know Christ or what do we need to know about God and who He is, His nature, His character, and who we are and what this world is all about. You'll not truly know it apart from God's Word. Now, a central text in understanding the doctrine and authority of Scripture is found in 2 Timothy. And when we go through Timothy, we're going to look at this in much more depth. But let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is what? Breathed out by God, exhaled by God, and profitable for what? Teaching, for proof, for correction, for training in righteousness. To what end? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This verse, this passage, is crucial for you to believe. For you to hold to. Because if you want to increase your intake of God's word. Then this passage tells you what you need to know. About the very words of God. And what the very words of God are going to do to you. Look at this. He's reminding Timothy. Paul writing here to Timothy. That scripture is supernatural. And divine in origin. That is super important. When you ask people who wrote the Bible. They're going to say. Oh it was written by a lot of authors. A lot of different people wrote it. And you'll talk to some people, yeah, and there's things in the Bible they contradict. So this can't have supernatural origin, divine origin, because there's things in the Bible that just, they just seem to contradict one another. There, there's no way this has one 
divine supernatural origin because there's a lot of different people wrote it. And the scriptural record attests to it that certain people, right, were the writers of the particular portion of scripture that you're reading. But that's what Paul's saying here. He says that all scripture, every word in your Bible is breathed out by God. Breathed out. The Greek word for that, theopneustos, theo, meaning God, neustos, it's a derivative of, of pneuma, which is wind or breath, breathed out by God. The sense given here is, 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 is that, that of, of air being expelled from the lungs. But here, whose lungs are they being expelled by? Not man's. God. God's doing the exhaling here. God is the one breathing out all of the words of Scripture here. That's important. It's important for you to know and believe when, he, when you approach God's Word that these are not the words of men. These are the words exhaled from the very mouth of God, from the very lungs of God. They're the Spirit-inspired words of God. What does that tell us? The Bible doesn't have many authors. The Bible has one divine author. One. One. So that every time you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. Every time you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. He's speaking to you. It's his words. So how can we approach it casually and flippantly and infrequently when it is God who's speaking to us? The words contained in the Bible were inspired by God through the various writers of the books of the Bible. Now, we're going to get deeper into what it means inspired and, and, and the inspiration given to those who penned Scripture. But 2 Peter chapter 1, 19-21 gives us this indication. Here's what Peter writes. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, look at this. First of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. There's a lot going on there, but what's Peter saying here? What he's saying is that the words of Scripture are not of human origin. They weren't drummed up and conceived in the mind of man. They're not derived from the will of man. They're not the source of someone's own interpretation of, of what they think God uh, is saying. They are not of human innovation. They come from the Spirit of God, who did what? Here's the word. He carried along. Now that, that word in the Greek, carried along, means to move along, to, to give support or strength to something, to propel something, like pushing it along. But that thing is not moving under its own power. It's being acted upon. The Spirit of the Lord carried these men to do what? To write. Using their own voice. Using the way they framed the thoughts, but they were not of their own. They were carried along by the Spirit of God. Their natural voices, but the Spirit superintending every single one of their words. That's so important. That means your Bible is a supernatural book. This is not like your copies of any classic work of literature. 
or your favorite work of fiction or your favorite biographical text or your favorite history book. This is a supernatural book of divine origin, the very words of God. So don't ever reduce this to mere ink on a page and give it the same equal weight you would give any other text you have or have read or have in your home. It's not the same. It's not like any other literary work. The Bible is living and active. The Bible is supernatural in origin. It is the most important thing you could ever read. It is the most important words that you could ever take into your heart and life. It's worth devoting your whole life to study. To know. When we look back at what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy. All of the God-breathed out words of God, he says, are profitable. Profitable means useful or um, advantageous or beneficial. So he gives four modifiers here regarding the profitability or the benefits of Scripture. Again, he says it's useful for teaching, it's useful for correction, it's useful for reproof, it's useful for training in righteousness. Right? God's Word is useful to instruct us in everything concerning our faith, everything God desires for us to know and believe. It's useful to rebuke us. How does it rebuke us? Well, it slaps us upside the head through our wrong thinking, our wrong attitudes, our, our wrong uh, actions. Right? When we're believing in error instead of the truth, right? God's word reproves us. It reveals the hidden and secret sins of our hearts. To what end? To bring us to repentance and faith. God's word's useful in exhorting us to right living, to holy living. It's useful to train us, to conform us to God's righteous standards. I'll sum it up this way. God's word is sufficient. God's word is enough. And God's word is supremely necessary to all of these ends that are mentioned here. And they don't happen any other way. They don't happen apart from God's word. So that every believer would what? Be built up, equipped, and matured for every good work. God's word has been given to us to accomplish all of these things in the life of, of, of the believer. Why do we neglect it? <laughs> Going back to that question. Why do we spend so little time in it? So it's no wonder the lack of spiritual maturity that we see because of the little intake and engagement with, the God's, with God's word. This is the primary way he speaks to you, brothers and sisters. Not through the prophet. Not through your favorite speaker. Your favorite podcast. Your favorite Christian book. It's here. It's here. Don't neglect it. Let's look quickly here. Delighting in God's word. Again, Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And what he says, your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. When he tasted the glory and the sweetness of the word of God, they became to him the joy and delight of his heart. What does that mean? It means taking in his words, eating his words, digesting his words. He found them pleasurable, delightful, satisfying, interesting, relevant. Joy. It brought joy to his heart. Does God's word bring you joy? Is God's word something you delight in? Delight means to be captivated by something or someone, right? To be taken by them. Think about a young man in love with a young woman, captivated by her beauty, hangs on every one of her words, right? Always wants to spend time with her, delights in her, 
that's intoxicated with her beauty. That's the idea here of delighting in God's word this, this very same way. Is God's word a joy and delight to your heart? Do you resonate with what Jeremiah is writing here about the word of God and how he feels about it? Psalm 119 uh, is an entire poem, uh, a masterful literary poem. Just like we looked at Proverbs chapter 31, it's an acrostic using the first letter of each Hebrew alphabet. Each section of this poem is done the same way. And it's a love poem. But it's not a love poem to a woman. It's a love poem to God's word. It's phenomenal. David's writing this about God's law. That he loves God's law. And that's clear when you read this psalm. In fact, it's clear when you read any of David's psalms. But especially in Psalm 119. Because that's what he's expressing here. So much affection. So much longing and delight. In this song that David wrote. About God's word. Let's look at some of them real quick here. Psalm 119.24. Your testimonies are what? My delight. They're my counselor. Psalm 119.47-48. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 111, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And lastly, 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. You think David loves God's word? You think he delights in the law of God, the testimonies of God? You betcha. They are the joy of his heart. They are the joy of his heart. Do you share David's sentiment? Does, does it resonate with you or do you struggle to identify with David? You, maybe you don't feel love for God's word this way. You don't feel that it's the joy of your heart. But what David expresses is what God desires for every one of his children. That they love his word, that they treasure his word, that they delight in this word this way. And we need to evaluate whether or not the way we approach Coming to God's word fosters, cultivates love for God. And sometimes the way we have come to God's word, the, the, the way we, we determine, well, I've got to read through it in a year, is not really fostering love for God's word as much as it is getting to know something about God's word or memorizing a few portions of scripture. Sometimes people read God's word because they're just, they, they want to win at Bible trivia. I feel like that's how they're approaching it. They just know a lot of facts about Scripture. They can tell you the most obscure event that's happening, that happened in God's Word, the, the weirdest of names, right? Just, just facts that you and I are like, what? Where, where is that? You know, I I've sometimes go through some of those Bible trivias, the really hard ones. I'm like, where is that? I don't remember reading that. It's just not an area I've ever placed intense emphasis on. And some people approach God's Word this way, but that's not learning to love God's Word and treasure God's Word and delight in God's Word. I don't want you just to be someone who shares memes about Scripture without actually transforming your life. I'm not trying to build, I, even though, as much as I want you to know God's Word deeply and meditate and memorize it and win at Bible trivia, I just don't want you to be a Bible nerd. 
I want you to have sound doctrine. I want you to have sound theology. But you know what I really want? I really want you to love God's word. Delight in God's word. That you eat of it and you savor it. And you're just not swirling it around your mouth to spit it out. You're taking it in. Because it's something so delicious and desirable. That, that's my experience with God's word. From day one, when God radically got a hold of my life as a teenager, he put a love for his word in my life. It was life to me. I consumed it more than air. Everything, it was everything. It still is. It still is. But I think back, like Jeremiah says, when he first received God's word and he ate them, what it was to him, that's what it was to me. That's what I want it to be for you. And I'm thankful it is for many of you here. I know there's people in this room who love God's word, but I want all of us to love God's word and delight in it and for me the joy of their life because you're being transformed by it. You're being changed by it. Psalm 119 That's the goal. That's the goal here. This is exactly how you and I should feel about the word of God. I'm using feeling words here, right? Because this is an emotion that David is expressing concerning God's word here. It's his joy. It's his delight. It's his treasure. It's his love. It's what we should believe about the word of God. Jeremiah's sentiment, David's sentiment, Ezekiel's sentiment should be Ours, we love to feast on his word because we love his word because we love God. And his word brings joy to our heart. We can only begin to delight in God's word when we devour and digest God's word. It does not happen any other way. I can't lay hands on you to give you a love for God's word, to delight in God's word, to take joy in God's word. God's spirit does that work. He changes our affections. He intensifies our longing the more and more we engage in God's word and with God's word. Now I know in closing here, not everyone in the room likes to read. It saddens me because I love to read. (laughs) But not everyone likes to read. And that means not everyone puts the same uh, emphasis and attention to the written word. And this is a challenge in this digital age of ours. And this is why we have uh, the, the reduction in engagement in, in the emerging generations here because they're not reading. They're not reading. They're not learning to read, right? It's just things spit out answers for them so they don't have to really engage deeply with the written word. And so it's becoming harder and harder to get people into their Bibles, and that's why we produce these other aids to listen to God's Word, and these things are all good. But because you don't read, you may not get jazzed about the written Word. Now, I know some of you here, I look at Jill, Jill gets jazzed about the written Word, right? She's, she's a writer, and she's a reader. She loves, she loves it. But we do all, whether we're readers or, or don't read a lot, we do all get passionate about words, We get passionate about words when they benefit us. We get passionate about words, right, when they concern us to some degree or will have an impact on us to some degree. And that has to be in there in our approach to the intake of God's word, that you see it for what it is. 
number one, God's word, but also something of supreme benefit and value for your life. That without this, you won't experience the kind of spiritual growth I know you desire. You won't truly get to have that depth of love of God and know God apart from his word. Because this is what God has given us to know him by. His word. And this could stir up passion. The Bible is the book that contains God's word that greatly benefits us. And only those who know it most can delight in it the most. Those who eat the words frequently and consistently, savoring and digesting them, these life-giving words grow to love it greatly. And only those who spend time with God's word will be shaped and transformed by God's words. But what we feel and believe about Scripture is what we ought to be feeling and believing about Jesus. And because we feel and believe that about Jesus, we should be feeling it and believing it about his word. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But how does he speak to us in these last days? Through the Son, right? He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The Son has been revealed to us as the Word made flesh, manifest in the flesh. And he speaks to us. These are his words to us. We cannot claim to love Jesus and not love his word. We cannot claim to say we delight in Christ and believe Christ and we feel deeply this love and delight about Jesus, yet his word is, eh, when I get around to it. The son is the word made flesh. And all that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and David felt and believed about the words of God is all that you and I should feel and believe about the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. And all scripture speaks to us concerning Christ. This is what Jesus revealed about himself. You recall the story in Luke 24. He's walking alongside the two disciples. And as of yet, he does not fully reveal himself to them. But what does he begin to do to them? He begins to open up the scriptures to them and show them everything in the scripture concerning himself. This is how God is speaking to us through the Son. When we get to know Jesus through his word... God is speaking. God is revealing to us something about himself. If you want to grow in your love, joy, and delight in Jesus, it's not going to happen apart from the word. I don't know how people can make that claim when it's like, what do you know about God? No, not really anything, but I love Jesus. That just doesn't compute. (laughs) It's kind of hard to get my head around that. They don't know anything about his word. They care little about it. But they can make an audacious claim like that. But as you grow in your delight of Scripture, you will grow in your delight of the Son of God. 100% guarantee it. 100%. This was meant as an exhortation today, not to guilt or shame anyone here. Because here's what I know. We all do a pretty good job of of self-imposed guilt for our inattention to the reading and study of God's Word. The end of every year, I always go, I could have done more. (laughs) You know, I wish I had done more. I wish I had read more. I wish I had studied more. I wish I had memorized more. I wish I had meditated more on God's word. I know the amount of hours I've spent consuming social media and other entertainment options that I for sure could have devoted to the word of God. Now, 
I don't let that bury me in a weight of condemnation, and neither should you, right? This is a grace-fueled endeavor. It always is. So it's not to guilt or to shame you, but to encourage you. Because here's the great thing I want you to know. God wants you to know and love his word. Because God wants you to know and love his word, I get excited about that. Because that doesn't put it all on you. I know that he gives us his spirit to help us towards that end, to know and love his word. I think of what David prayed in Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your word. Well, who is the one who opens our eyes? It's the spirit of, the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has been given to open our eyes. So when Paul prays for the believers at Ephesus, what does he pray? He prays for what? A spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. And then he prays for, for God to open the eyes of their hearts so that they'd be enlightened to what? To know. To know what is the hope to which they've been called and to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Ephesians chapter 1. No, no, no. Who helps us to know? The Holy Spirit helps us to know. We're not left on our own. In fact, you can't know and understand this apart from the Spirit of God. This is why so many people say, I've read through the Bible, but it's like, man, there's like darkness in their eyes. They haven't seen. There's a veil that remains there. Until the Spirit removes that veil, you can't know and understand. It can only be spiritually discerned. But the Spirit of God enables us to that. Then Paul prays for the believers at Colossae also that they be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing in every good work and increasing in what? The knowledge of God. That they be filled with, how do we get filled with knowledge? Through the word of God. The spirit of God and the word of God. That's how we grow. That's how we get to know the Lord. Here's the cool thing. Those prayers, God delights in answering those prayers. So when you pray, God, give me delight, give me an appetite, give me hunger for your word, you're praying according to the will of God. Lord, give me wisdom, give me understanding concerning your word. I want to know it, I want to love it, I want it to be the joy of my heart. You're praying according to the will of God. And God says he'll answer every single one of those prayers. And when you do that, Delighting in God's word is only going to intensify. When God's children desire, devour, digest, and delight in the word of God, they're going to discover a God who, who desires to delight them through his word. You can't get enough of it. There are times I just set out, I'm just going to read this part. And when I get to the end of that part, I'm like, I'm going to read the next part, and the next part, and the next part, and, and I can't stop. Who's doing that? That's the Spirit of God stirring up delight in my own heart through His Word. So what are we to do? Set your heart this year on loving, delighting, and treasuring God's Word. And you're going to discover, brothers and sisters, God's Word will become the joy and delight of your heart.